an Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path of the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the magma holds this episode are... My name is Paul, and uh, did you know that Billy Joel wrote the Fire Slayers theme song? No, I didn't. I think you've heard it before. It's called We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, I'm Aaron, and Zargrim, I barely know him. Classic. Uh, I'm Davey, and uh, I really kind of learned a lot here. I kind of figured out... Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule, they were just trying to get that sweet, sweet Urgold. No big deal. <laughs> All right. Uh, in this episode, we cover the lore of the Fire Slayers battle tome. Get ready to hear a whole lot of tempers, nudity, and sweaty dudes. And then if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those Duarden. And how are you tonight, my fellow Rune fathers? Because we all have kids, both Rune sons and Rune daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Like how y'all doing? Doing well. I, I, have, I have a dwarf in front of me. But uh, I, I'm sorry, a Dwarden, but it is a Karajan Overlord, but it's also a Grot. So no, I was, I was hoping it was like a kid, like one of your rune sons <laughs> or rune daughters. My rune um, sons and rune daughters better be asleep, I tell you what. So help me <laughs> to, the, to the lava with them. Um, awesome. Well, tonight uh, we're going to be talking about, the like I just said, literally just said moments ago, the Fire Slayers Battle Tome. But before we do, guys, we I feel like it's been a little bit. This is actually the first episode that we recorded in the calendar year of 2022. It's been a hot Ooh. second. I'd love to know uh, what, you, what you all been up to. So, uh, Paul, Paul, what have you been doing uh, in the hobby since last we talked? Uh, I have been working on a Drowned Men Nurgle Force. Trying to get that up to um, 2,000 points. Um, once I realized that I had 4,000 points of Nurgle. <laughs> so uh, I've been having fun with that. Yeah, just a little bit. That's all. You know, Just a, just a handful. Yeah. Um, and working on a little bit of terrain, stuff like that. So just you know, right getting some stuff done. Very cool. Um, this episode will be before Adepticon. So do you want to make a spiel about that real quick? Um. We are running, uh, Will and I are running the Gibbering Dome narrative event at Adepticon. So we should be there on Friday. I hope I have that time right. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Um, Given what we talked about before. I know, right? Um, So uh, we are going to be running the narrative event at Adepticon on Friday. So um, you should be able to find us in the hall as the event will be listed in the timetable and location. Um, so if you want to come see some awesome, sweet, sweet narrative gaming, uh, come on and say hi. Um, I, my money is on the fact that anybody who's listening to this right now and who is going to Adepticon is probably playing in your uh, event. <laughs> Only 16 of you are privileged enough to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. We 16 uh, few. Anyways, that was dumb. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, David, get me out of this. Uh, what uh, what you been up to? I don't know, Aaron. Just keep talking for a while. No, I please I don't. need to think a little longer on this one. Uh, no, I've been. Uh, I've also been preparing for Adepticon. They are having a grand clash, and it is uh, a big in-person event for the first time in a long, long time. Uh, so that's cool. Um, what that means is that I will frantically and uh, in a panic uh, switch back and forth between war bands right up until the end, probably. <laughs> um, uh, what have, What have you settled on most recently? Uh, I've been doing a lot of practicing with purifiers which um is kind of outlandish for me to be trying an elf warband 
but uh, I thought about how much I hated playing against them, and I was like, well, let me just flip that around, mm-hmm. make my opponents suffer that. Um, and then also I have uh, Far Striders painted up from a long time ago and built a deck and tried it out today and uh, beat Eyes of the Nine, so I pretty much means they're ready to beat anything. <laughs> sure. Uh, but at the same time, given that you're waffling so much, it's almost a guarantee that neither of those two war bands are what, are what you're going to play. Right. Yeah. We'll see. Chances, chances of making that. So, yeah. Uh, very cool and great. Um, what have I been up to? I've just been working on some daughter stuff. So I've been putting together, I guess you can kind of call it daughters of Kane in that it's the canine shadow stalkers. Um, again, I'm just trying to burn through all of anything that's even related to daughters of Kane. I'm trying to assemble and again, shove into a box, uh, and never look at for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> and beyond that that's essentially it i mean i got i got through the spells i got through the uh underworld's war band and so now it's to to the gray plastic is where we've we've moved on to so uh yeah i've also been doing at least as of this recording the grand clash at adepticon with my only single painted war band of uh the the skaven um what what is the over under for games you will play before <laughs> Uh, where where do we set it for games you'll play before Adepticon? The responsible thing would do to do it would be at least to play one, just so I can get acquainted with the rules again. Because I imagine the game is much different than it was at the beginning of Beastgrave or at the end of Night Haunt or Night, Night Vault. Um, Vault. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I imagine the game has changed a little bit. I should probably pick up some of those rules in in honor of the, my potential uh, adversaries. I feel like it would sure. uh, it'd be in their best interest for me to do that. So. But again, that's a 50-50 shot if I even get that far. I'm so, sorry, in advance. So 0.5 games is the over-under. Yeah, essentially. All right, yep, got yep. it. <laughs> that's going to be like 10 times more games than you played all last year, though, right? I mean... Uh, have I... Quite possibly. I don't want to get into this. This is no fun. No one's having, no one's having any fun with this. Um, but I'll tell you what is fun. You want to know what's fun? I'll tell you what's fun. I, I'm the arbiter of what fun is, and it's talking about the Fire Slayer's battle tome tons of fun in a small package um so let's maybe hop into that with a little bit of a story phase um paul would you do me the honors in the story phase we delve into the stories characters creatures and environments of the nine realms we sure do all right so fire slayers an oldie but a goodie i feel like this has been um they've been kicking around age of sigmar for a while now despite being sort of a, a newer army generally to the setting um but it's the first time that we've ever really sat down and talked about them so to catch people who have been waiting anxiously for us to discuss them um i would love if you guys could give me my my favorite segment of this year's show which is the the one sentence description and let's make it a good one a real real good off the cuff uh description of the fire slayers paul please show them how it's done uh you can't see me right now but my eyes are closed because i'm just i forgot about this part how could you forget? I intentionally don't prepare for this part. It's the most important part. I know. It's the most important part. Uh, they are a paternally organized, paternally driven uh, race of fire-loving warriors who ritually scar themselves with gold that they then use to ritually scar others in battle. Because battle is the best thing in life. 
I, I can't disagree with that. I'm sorry. Let's see. We, we can see each other right now. So I'm, I'm pantomiming, <laughs> uh, ritually scarring things. Um, all right. Pretty good. Pretty good, I think. Uh, but Davey, uh, what do you have to say in response to that with your one sentence description? Uh, oath makers and head breakers driven to find and powered by the fragments of their lost God. Gosh, should we change the segment to be a, like a freestyle rap uh, <laughs> segment? That was oh so gosh. much better than mine. Oh my god! What if we rap battled? Oh god! And by we, I mean you guys rap battled. <laughs> and I am seated. Man, what a what a delight! All right, it would be great because these episodes would only have to be about twenty minutes long because that's when everybody would uh, hang up the uh, hang up sure. the podcast. They'd be <laughs> like, you know, they had a good run. Well, now let me clarify: they had a run, uh, and uh, <laughs> nothing gold could stay. Nothing Urgold can stay. Uh, all right, so Fire Slayers summed up. I feel like we've got that's a good place to start. Um, so it's a bunch of Duarden. They got orange, spiky hair. They love Urgold. Um, let, let's get into it. So first and foremost, we we often try to talk about like sort of the origins of these races. And I was trying to think what the origin of the Fire Slayers was, but it's not especially clear. Like it's almost as if they just sort of always existed in the moral realms. Did you guys get that too? Or was there some sort of origin story that I missed in this here book? No, I didn't see anything. Grimnir, Grimnir awakes and discovers, Hey, Rad, there's a bunch of Duarden already here. Um, but, uh, it's a little less clear what they were prior to Urgold being a thing. Um, yeah. I mean, we talk about, so, I mean, from the elves perspective, like, uh, Tyrion and Teclis couldn't find a lot of the elves. I mean, it turns out some of them were in this year, but like, so they were looking for the races, but they couldn't find them. Um, Sigmar rolled up to the mortal realms and he started finding people. So I guess they were always kind of there. I'm trying to think of other examples of like the, the origin of the species, so well, to speak. Beastmen were always there, even before yeah. everybody else, beastmen were there. Yeah, true, true. Even, even when there was no one else, they were still losing though. <laughs> oh man we i mean we we have beastman fans guys be cool um i'm a beastman fan i just you can't be a beastman fan without a little uh self-deprecation little, yeah exactly but we've got to be diehard fans because you know they're always dying uh, but it ain't hard though when they do uh when but so when, i guess when we're thinking about like the ko part of that story was the fact that they were I'm going to say regular Dwarden, like your, your classic uh, dispossessed uh, Dwarden. And those those guys sort of turned into the KO, right? Like it was once mm-hmm. Grugni abandoned them. That's when they sort of took to the skies in the Age of Chaos. But it sounds like Fire Slayers even predate that. Like they were all, they were already sort of their separate entity before even that schism happened. So mm-hmm. the impression I get. Yeah. All right. So, hey, uh, you're looking for an origin story. You ain't going to find it here. Uh, <laughs> they always were and they always will be uh, if they know it's good for them. Um, but although they may not have an origin story per se, uh, they have maybe a, a, an origin event that I think turned them into uh, the the race that they are today, or like the the people or the culture that they are today uh, back yeah. in the age of myth. So uh, what what happened there then? Uh, this and we'll come back to uh, a particular event, but uh, there is an event that places Grimnir in uh, in Sigmar's debt. And Sigmar uh, feels under pressure on this because he says, "Like, I got to, I got to give him something to do, right? Like, he's, uh, I have to give Grimnir something to do, otherwise he'll think I'm, you know, dishonoring him. Think, think that uh, I don't think well of him. Uh, I need to give him a challenge. It has to be a super hard challenge because because uh, he knows. <laughs> yeah, if, if I make it too easy, he, he'll he'll feel uh, insulted." Um, but I, I kind of don't want him to die, but, uh, I guess, I guess we'll send him after, 
after the Ur salamander, father, uh, mother, what father, mother, mother of all salamanders, mother, yeah, I think, mother of all salamanders. So, um, who is named Vol- Volcatrix? Volcatrix yeah. um, sends off Grimnir. And there is a the battle is kind of detailed there. They they uh, but they basically uh, both die in this battle, and uh, their essence is scattered uh, across the realms, though primarily in Akshi, uh, and not just that, but it's it's intertwined, um, and it it uh, comes to become this Urgold, uh, which is about as central to the Fire Slayer. Uh, book and culture and what have you as anything is for any particular race. So, um, yeah, I think if I could like grab back into the old world slightly, um, there were a race of dwarves called slayers in the old world that did have Mohawks and they walked around bare chested. I wouldn't say they were a race per se. They were a a faction. That's fair. Right. Yep. Um, so that those design elements were kind of there and, it, it almost feels to me a bit like before Grimnir died, they were slayers. But it really is Grimnir's death that make them into the fire slayers that we know. Because up until that point, we didn't hear anything about like hammering metals into their chest or, you know, um, going and searching out all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, my quibble with that is that uh, old world slayers, uh, as you know, were were dishonored uh dwarden who were looking to find a mighty doom you know they, mm-hmm. they couldn't deal with the shame or disappointment and so it was a, a cultural thing where they would uh seek to get a glorious death that might redeem uh redeem whatever perceived sin that they had uh done and i can't imagine that's that's what the fire slayers were doing before grimnir blew himself up fighting volcatrix all right, so I do have a counterpoint here, but you may be able to like slap me down here, Davey. But in the Age of Chaos, or in the, in the Storm of Chaos, there was a, a hold of slayers, and there was a slayer king, and everyone in his hold were slayers. And they weren't necessarily looking out to just go and to die, but they were looking to perpetuate this culture of the slayers. And he mm-hmm. would send out his sons to go and slay things in his stead. Um, yeah, it was specifically, he was a, is the, uh, he was a slayer king and he was stuck between his two oaths to find a mighty death, mm-hmm. but also to, uh, to provide a shrine to help out the slayers. I, I believe that hold was not exclusively slayers. They were just, uh, okay. like a pilgrimage site for slayers, but, uh, maybe an old world connoisseur can, uh, correct one of us. <laughs> swirling my wine glass. Yeah. yeah, I got it. I got it. Everybody, know, everybody knows you got to swirl it. That's rule number one uh, about, <laughs> about wine. Cannons breathe. Yeah. And uh, rule number one of fire slayers is if, that, if your warrior god explodes uh, his essence all over the realms and starts to imbue gold with his very soul stuff, rule number one is you got to go collect it. Um, and that is essentially, I mean, I'm trying to think, it, did they discover Urgold in the Age of Myth? Like, were they already chasing it down at this point? They must have been, right? Like, so right off the bat, yeah. 
pretty soon after his his demise, they they realize um, that they have a, they're able to sense sort of his essence out there in the world. They're able to track it down. They find it is in this in this gold, and so they start collecting it. Maybe even before they start, you know, making runes and things out of it, which we figure out, you know, a little bit later. First and foremost, they're just trying to get their hands on it to sort of. I don't know if it's a matter of putting his, the pieces back together because that's in my head. I know this isn't true, but my head canon is they're all going to you know combine it like in just a, one like big puzzle pieces, and then eventually it's just this big golden icon of uh, Grimnir. You're saying um, Grimnir is Voltron. Uh, I I don't need to say it because it goes without saying. All right, um, fair enough. So that's essentially, I mean, a lot of the time being spent in the age of myth is this. So it's, it's this Renaissance, you know, enlightened, um, time of peace and prosperity for all these other races, you know, again, these, these golden days or golden years, golden centuries, uh, that all the races are sort of flourishing and thriving and, you know, developing, uh, in the mortal realms all the while the fire slayers are running around just gathering, gathering gold. Like it's almost someone like they're in the midst of mourning. They're, they're having a real tough time of it where everybody else seems to be doing great. Um, yeah. to which is a bummer for fire slayers. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, it's even around this time, if I recall correctly, that is where they've sort of picked up their mercenary aspects of it, right? And so, mm-hmm. not only are they hunting down the gold as it's uh, naturally occurring out in the in the realms, but they find that it, it even the currencies and the the gold that uh, other sentient races, you know, have. Um, the even some of that has traces of Urgold in it, and to get their hands on it, either they'll you know they'll get it at the edge of an axe, or they'll sell their services um, as sort of a warrior tribe um, to uh, get get that Urgold in payments. So this is where the origins of their, I guess, mercenary aspect <laughs> picks up uh, as well. And not only are they getting paid in this Urgold, but it. it is in service to their god as well. Their god was a, a warrior god, and so in the acts of you know violence and warfare, uh, they are they are serving him. Well, what I like about this aspect is that uh, they become. It's almost like they become uh, incidentally wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. So they their the real goal is ur gold, and that it, that almost feels like you know like rare coins or something where uh, somebody says, "Yeah, sure, I'll pay seventy five cents for that." Uh, and it inadvertently gives them, you know, a Indian head nickel or what, whatever it's, you know, some, I don't know, coins, uh, no, what is it? Numerology? Is that the, is that the coin collecting? I don't know. I don't, is uh, it? I think it's philatology. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> One, cause, cause that's actually a really fun little point. A numismatist, excuse me. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the word for somebody who collects old coins is called a numismatist. Um, and this is a really fun aspect of the Fire Slayer culture is that they do have all of this money, but they really don't care about it. But no way are they ever going to give it away for any reason because of these like, you know, rare coins like David saying the buffalo had nickel or like the 1932 penny that had, you know, a slight too much tin or whatever in it. Um, so they, they really do kind of feel like these obsessive numismatists that are literally trying to go through every single penny. You know, a person takes a dollar bill and goes into the bank and is like, I need a hundred pennies. Then he goes to the next bank after checking them all. It's like, all right, I don't like these pennies. I want these pennies now. And like just going into like every safe cracking thing they can do. And what's worse is it, it gives them the, uh, the, um, 
the reputation for being particularly greedy, right? Like everyone else thinks that they're just gold hungry and that they're, it, they're just fueled by greed, but that's, it, it's literally almost the opposite, right? Where they do not care whatsoever about the monetary value of the things that they're collecting, but, but no one knows that. And they're not, and the fire slayers aren't about to tell them because they don't want to reveal the reason why they're trying to collect all this money in the first place. And so, uh, again, they've got this re- reputation of being, you know, misers and, you know, only, only can, caring about uh the benjamins um but again it just sits in a hold somewhere uh in a vault uh, never really touched riches untold that are just utterly for the most part not really being used so it's kind of funny um so we've touched on the age of myth generally or what it was like for the fire slayers back then um were there any stories in the book or made other major events that folks wanted to uh call out from this age of myth myth time frame Yes, uh, the the Thagduegi, mm. uh, which is what you call me, <laughs> a term that means like the great betrayal. Uh, it talks about a dwarven uh, dwarven pantheon. It does. Uh, yep. Which we don't really know much about. Um, we don't know. I mean, there's. Uh, I can never remember this. The Paul, do you remember the name of the dwarven god of the dwarven god of the dead? Um, um, I don't, I know that there's actually a great, uh, Josh Reynolds, uh, novel. Yeah. What is it? Players that are worshiping death. Um, but, uh, there is a female, um, dwarf, our Dwarden goddess of health. I know. Thalia. Uh, old world. Thalia. Thalia go. Yeah. Got, got it up by Nagash. So I don't know if she made it into this, mm-hmm. but, uh, well, Gazul, Gazul is the one we're, we're thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but, and- uh, but then that's a question. Do we find out in another book that this is part of the betrayal, right? Did Thalia get eaten by Nagash because of some betrayal that happened within the Dwarden Pantheon? Um, we don't have a lot of details, so I, I don't know that we could say. Yeah, uh, point, point being, like, we don't know what this is. And as far as I know, we've never heard about this before, no, this betrayal. So. Uh, and it left, it shattered the Dwarden Pantheon, and it left Grimnir and Grungni... Uh, chained on top of a mountain mm-hmm. uh, where they're found later by Sigmar and then become, you know, come come to be in his debt uh, for that, um, which I, uh, leads I, on to some of the other things we were talking about. Uh, the, and they don't talk about this at all. Mm-hmm. My take is that this is a seed to set up a little bit of chaos to Arden. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, uh, how's, how's, okay, good hot take. How so? Why do we go from one to the other? Draw me a line, a dotted well, line. We're talking a betrayal that uh, they don't want to ever talk about. So whatever it is, it's it's shameful. Um, it is something that they have not chosen to mention before in any of the, the fiction so far, which makes me think that they are setting up a, uh, you know, sometimes they'll do this where they start laying seeds for uh, a new faction, you know, like the, when the Caradron arrived, it was strange clouds seen over the mountains of Shaman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would explain to me why they're uh, introducing this new thing, um, is that they might be laying the, the groundwork for that. Um, also, it was a similar thing, uh, not to spend too much time, although with Paul and I on here, we're going to do it. It's too much time uh, <laughs> in the world that was. Uh, that was also a thing there where the, the Chaos Dwarves there we're just not spoken of, you know, like we, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, the tall hat dwarf, you know? So, um, well, and the, the thing, I don't know if you got a clear idea about this, Davey, 
or Aaron, um, but it felt like in the first time that they had mentioned this in the book, it was something that had been a betrayal for both of Grimnir and Grimnir. But the second mm. time they mentioned it, it almost seemed to be a betrayal between Grimnir and Grungnir. Yeah, that's the impression um, I got. Yeah, yeah, certainly they weren't uh, on speaking terms after that. Yeah, but they were still chained to the same mountain. So who chained them? Yeah, that's what I want to know. It, yeah. Like, that's the, the really interesting thing about this question. Um, and because this is the first time we're kind of knowing about Grimnir, but besides the fact that he shows up, like, did Grimnir take a Slayer Oath? Or is that something that was intended to be part of his nature to begin with, right? Um, with things being in flux from the old world to Age of Sigmar, um, it, it leaves it open for some other stories to show up in there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have any other uh, fag-dwegi fag uh, thoughts other than it's very secretive? Well, one of the other things that happens um, um, before, is it before Grimnir's death or is it right after? We have this original founding of the lodges, right? Is this something you want to talk about now or you want to make a transition? Yeah, no, how's it? Okay, go right in. All right. So we have this original founding of these lodges and this time of prosperity, this time of, you know, collecting and understanding what Urgold is. But the other fascinating thing about this book is that every single one of those lodges gets destroyed. Yeah, they, they all yeah. sort of fall like over time. So not only have they lost their god, but they've also lost like even the second generation of history of their race. It's fortunate they're, that they're a race that seems to have a long memory and has mm -hmm. relatively, I'm going to say relatively good quote unquote bookkeeping, which is almost literally not bookkeeping, but um, they are they are a race steeped in tradition um, that hopefully they are able to sort of maintain those, you know, over time, even lost uh, previous generations to sort of keep that continuity some, from their, you know, early days. Um, but we can't uh, talk about looking back to the past until we, until we live through history. Let's keep going through our history. Let's, let's jump into our, uh, our age of chaos, if you guys don't mind. So um, they're out there, they're gathering uh, Urgold, they're selling their services as mercenaries. Oh no, the world goes to hell. Uh, age of chaos hits. How does that shake up uh, what the fire slayers are up to? Hint, doesn't change it too much, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> uh, any, anything about the Age of Chaos grab, you guys? Whether it's stories or just a general outlook on life. Um, I, this is this is where I kind of first encountered them. We'll talk about some some books, but the first first few books I read were at the tail end of the Age of Age of Chaos. Um, that or the first stories I read about these guys it was either right at the beginning of the Age of Sigma, or it was a little bit of a flashback to the to the age of chaos. So, uh, for me, it's kind of the starting point for them for understanding them. But, uh, you know, just generally it seems like they, they buttoned up tight. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, what's important to notice here is that they, uh, there's a little bit talking about the gates are shut. They kind of seal up the, their fortresses and, uh, uh, that, keeps them safe but it also prevents any refugees from coming inside uh and so this kind of heightens their already pretty substantial isolation um at, at this point uh 
and uh it it really it feels like it uh metastasizes their their ergold is all sort of mentality to to a greater extent we're like hey the the only thing we care about is surviving and getting getting ergold ergold so that we can get our our lost god back if if they had a bad reputation before this does nothing to improve it whatsoever and really just like to reiterate what you're saying re re confirms folks sort of opinion of the fire slayers and that they they are not out there to help you in any way and they're very selfish and you know self-serving uh and whereas before it was because they had a secret you know mission the, the goal to bring their god back together now it almost their true colors show up show up where that yes they really are hunkering down and hiding in their mountains and they only come out if you're going to pay them a handsome sum in urgold to sell their you know mercenary services or so on and so forth but i mean um again it's cementing their place in the world uh being very uh warlike way uh mercenarial what's the word for like an adjective form of mercenary mercenarial mercenary mercenary Mercenary. Yeah, I think you just say mercenary. You just say mercenary. In a mercenary way. That mercenary seems not right. That doesn't, that doesn't sound I don't know enough about it to refute it, but that doesn't sound right. Um, One of the um, specific things here that actually reinforces their character is that a couple of lodges actually take payment to aid chaos forces chaos. as they're destroying the realms, um, which definitely adds to their mercenary nature. Um and how some of the lodges view this as, well, we would never do that because we would never aid chaos. And other lodges are just like, whatever, I'm, I'm looking for Urgold, and they have Urgold, so we're good to go. And dude's got to eat. Or in this case, harvest Urgold and slam it into their bodies. Yeah. Same same gist, yeah. And uh, to stack onto that, it's sort of at the end of this, at towards the end of the Age of Chaos, some many of the holds you know, specifically swear that they will never never take payment uh, from chaos to, to work for that grand alliance. Uh, but it doesn't say all. So no. And maybe there's some crossed fingers behind their back. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to see. Um, so question, listener question. Let's do, we, here's our first one. Are you guys ready for it? Ready. It doesn't matter how ready because I have to do my spiel first. Hey, guys and ladies and everyone in between. Um, if you yourself want to get a question on our show answered by this uh, panel of experts. Yes, I said panel of experts. Um, here's what you got to do. You got to hang out in our Discord channel, Discord server that is, uh, which can be found at www.themoralrealms.com slash Discord and hang out there every day, all day, just waiting for the moment where I swoop in and I say, hey, we're recording an episode about X, Y, or Z. If you have any questions, let us know. Then you dump all the questions you've been holding in uh, inside of you. And, it, and it's probably a lot of them because you've been waiting for a long time. Uh, and then we will answer them. Uh, we will alchemy like turn your questions into wisdom or something. I don't know whatever the macro I say. Uh, and uh, we'll answer them, answer them here on this very podcast. Uh, for example, you can do what Kiriban, Kiriban, Kiriban. Uh, you can do it, what they did and ask a question like this. How well did they survive the age of chaos? Did parts of them thrive instead of just surviving? I feel like we've touched on it a little bit now. Uh, some holed up in their magma holds, shutting the doors, keeping everybody out. Some went out into the world, uh, took contracts from the good guys, from the bad guys, from the morally gray guys uh, in order to get more um, Urgold. Did, were there any other survival tactics uh, here in the age of chaos that we saw from the fire slayers? Or is that, does that about cover it? They do talk about uh, something called the Time of Flames during the Age of Chaos, 
where um, Akshi goes through a time of cataclysmic volcanic eruption. And it actually throws up a whole more load of Urgold into the surface. That actually causes a lot more lodges to be founded. Um, so even in this like destruction and this um, chaos going on, the realms themselves are responding to the Age of Chaos. And some of that is actually helpful to um, the Fire Slayers because it allows them access to Urgold that they couldn't access before. I like how you're a glass half full kind of guy, uh, Paul, because... <laughs> those same volcanoes also erupted and like flooded and smothered out all sorts of other lodges and wiped them off the face of the realms, uh, essentially eliminating them entirely. So sure. Yeah. I guess some Urgold for everybody else is pretty cool, but like, uh, there's just maybe just as many, um, lodges that were wiped out as well. I want actually, I wanted to talk about this in a related, um, call. Okay. guys, I'm putting my negative hat on a little bit. I'm sorry. Let's get ready for this. Uh, there's also another story called the call of Urgold. And I'll, let me, let me, Talk you. I'm going to walk you through this. Hat right now. I know. I yeah. I should be. Uh, I'm going to walk you through this very interesting and engaging story. Uh, more Urgol is found in the other realms. So a bunch of fire slayers, go get it. So some of the best parts of these battle tomes is the interesting little tidbit stories that we get in the timelines, right? And they, they, they throw our main armies in weird environments or they get them into funny situations or they interact with other races in different unique ways. Um, yeah. This is one of the first books where I found myself sitting down reading these stories saying, is that, is that it? Is, was that the extent of the story you wanted to tell me? Because there's two of them that we just looked at. A bunch of volcanoes happened and then, and then more Urgold that sh- showed up. And then, oh no, they found more Urgold and they went and, g- and they went and got it. This is the time for us to find fun, interesting, like for, for them to shine and like throw a bunch of weird stuff into the book and make things really, really interesting. And like where uh, highlight things that you can't show in, you know, books or stories or the rest of this battle tome, like this battle tomes can be very, um, clinical. And this is where you can, you know, flex your creativity a little bit. And I was left a little wanting in some places. I mean, there are, there are a few here and there, but I don't know. Was there, was there really space for, they found our gold and they went and go got it stories shrug. I guess they, they can't all be winners, I suppose, but, um, still, uh, that felt a little redundant and um, surface level to me, but I'll get off there. Now we're back to we're back to that positivity. Let's keep the let's keep the good times rolling. Um, any other Age of Chaos stories or thoughts that y'all want to talk about? I'm good to go. Yeah, he is. Um, also, just one more thing: the things that these timelines are are good at is because they they can sort of inject other big story beats that we're aware of from the larger like mortal realms of the larger timeline and sort of insert them into uh, a timeline and you get a little bit more context or like the order of which things fall so they talk about uh in the age of chaos how to, the the shame of shade spire and how the fire slayers were involved in that and the uh, chosen axes and so it's nice to see that little blurb like i know that story but it's nice to see it inserted in a larger timeline to get it you know placed in when and how and and where this happened so i like stuff like that that is cool yeah. i do like that um, yeah they go into shade spire because they promised to keep it safe and uh, then Nagash yeeted it into the neither, and so you're like, man, that's a that's a tough uh, tough way to feel like you you broke your promises that a god uh, made it happen, but you do you guys. Yeah, and you don't, you want to tell them you're like, no, man, it's you know what, it's fine. You couldn't have stopped that. There's nothing you could have done. And they're like, ah, ah, ah no, I don't. <laughs> an oath, an oath, man. 
All right. Uh, here we go. Let's hop into the Age of Sigmar. We're getting closer, guys. We're getting closer to that present day. Um, Age of Sigmar, uh, Realmgate Wars time frame, Stormcast hitting the ground running, uh, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolts. Um, how does this change or affect or, uh, I don't know, evolve the, the Fire Slayers race uh, as we know it? I mean, have they had a change of heart? Have they, uh, have they realized the error of their ways? Um, have they started being more generous with the people around them? What do you guys think? No. Uh, <laughs> one of the, the, the story that's most interesting to me here is uh, the Vostargi Mont reclaimed. So this is an ancient uh, Fire Slayer city that was abandoned during the whole abandoning of the first holds um, and all these secondary holds were founded. Um, but it has been reclaimed. Um, but it's been reclaimed from the hands of Corgus Cull's Bloodbound and their Chaos Dwarden allies. Um, so again, going back to the Chaos Dwarden theme um, and potentially providing fuel for that fire of the the, the civil war between the Dwarden and what exactly happened there. So, yeah. So we'll remind and uh, we'll pretend as if we asked Chrisling's question first. So Chris Chrisling. Uh, Another listener question asked, were there any references to Chaos Dwarden? And here you go. Here's one, it may be the only one in the book, I can't remember, but this is the one that stood out to me, talking about how the, the Chaos Dwarden were at this Vistargi um, Mont. Um, David, was there anything you wanted to talk about on this on this here story? Anything to add? Uh, I like that when they do reclaim it, then they, uh, says the Vostarg, um the lodges uh, are rallying behind the Vostarg banner. And because so many lodges were involved in reclaiming it, uh, Vostarg, instead of saying, well, this is ours now, they say, this is, this is now a place. It's a, a neutral meeting ground for all the lodges. Oh, that was kind of a cool idea with it. I mean, neutral meeting ground belongs to everybody, but we're still going to slap our name on the front of it. Like, <laughs> so in case anybody forget, forgot who, uh, yeah, who's really in charge. Um, yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I wish, I had read the previous battle tones because I don't know which of this stuff is brand brand new and which of this stuff was you know in the the one the battle tone just before this one or maybe even the original one. This is this was new to me. I was unaware of this, but that doesn't mean it's brand new to the the setting. Um, mm. But it was very very neat. And actually, that, that applies to a lot of the other stuff that we'll talk about here. I'm going to talk about all these things as if they're brand new, which Fire Slayer experts out there are going to scoff and we'll know you know well, this, we've known about this forever. Um, sorry, I'm late to the game. Fire Slayer people like Kenny, lol. I'm just kidding. I like Kenny. Uh, all right. Um, any other stories you guys want to talk about before I talk about one in this early days of Age of Sigmar? Uh, only that uh, settling in Azerheim. Uh, didn't even think about this, but throughout the Age of Chaos, when the gates to Azir were closed, you couldn't get into Azir and get at any Urgold that is either scattered there or in the possession of uh azerite peoples so um that's kind of a big deal yeah so like there was a rumor that got out that you know there was or they could sense once the doors were open that their gold was there and so then all, all sorts of lodges start like sliding into azir's dms uh and uh making their way there um one of them i can't remember the name it comes i wrote it down later when we get there but like one of them like ends up setting up shop there and like they start streaking their hair and beards with uh white to sort of symbolize like the stars and you know the light of his ear which is kind of fun um uh another question from chrisling they ask uh any lore nuggets of fire slayers having run-ins with ogres and there's a couple 
spots in this book, but here's one. There's a story called The Slayers of Tyrants. And so one of the uh, lodges is called the <laughs> Hermdar, Hermdar uh, Lodge. And we'll talk about them later because they're one of the main lodges in the, in the, in the book. But um, some of the other lodges that aren't Hermdar start grumbling that the Hermdar are um, cu- uh, uh, undercutting uh, like fees and, and prices of you know mercenary work and uh, the other lodges don't seem to like that but the hermdar don't care they like it they're they're in it for like the um i don't know for the love of helping people so so to speak i mean they're still charging but they're cutting people deals and um they uh actually start um they, they clear out like an ogre uh, force somewhere and they like they do it for the fact that they like being called the slayer of tyrants and so uh they're helping people out they're killing you know they're they're driving off these ogres they're slaying tyrants and they get these cool t- out, this cool title that everybody calls them now uh and they uh they appreciate the acc- accolades so there's one ogre example in this book i think a- another interesting one comes up later remind me to talk about it sure. um so there you go Chrisling. keep Keep listening. Um, any other early days of Age of Sigmar stuff that you guys want to talk about? I'm good. All right, cool. Um, so to sum it up, Fire Slayers still selling their services. Now they've got a, the, the forces of Azir that they can be hired from as well. Uh, let's move on all on over to uh, the Soul Wars time frame. So kind of that AOS 2.0 uh, time frame. Um, how, did, uh, how did Nagash's antics uh, affect the the fire slayers it had a little bit of effect on them what do you guys think well it talks about how the night haunt can just kind of go through walls and stuff so building these like massive walls and that's your main defense from anybody trying to invade you doesn't work out super well um but the interesting thing is that the night that's fair uh from outside and it reminds me of a little bit of lore I remember from somewhere where um, Grungi, even though he was not present, is still able to preserve the souls of the Dwarden dead somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that the Night Hunt all come from outside because the Dwarden have some way of protecting themselves, in, even in death, from Nagash's grasp. Interesting. So that, that was a cool thing to remind me of that. Is that yeah. something you saw in this book or? Nope. It was in a different tone, but I remember reading about it and going, oh, right. That's, a, that's an interesting thing. Well, I wonder if they talk about it all in that Josh Reynolds short story. Like, cause right. Those are the Dwarden that worship the God of death. I can't remember. Gazool. They, yeah. Gazool. Um, I already threw remember. out completely unjustified opinions about specific pieces <laughs> of fiction tonight. So I'm going <laughs> to lay off of that one. No. Uh, so yeah, there's probably, there's probably more to that. I want to find out more about this dwarven pantheon um yeah so uh exactly the ghosts can if what is a mountain if not one big wall and ghosts can fly through walls so um their their physical defenses aren't as effective against the night haunt um another thing that came along with the soul wars time frame which is more the uh the uh um arcanum Arcanum optimar yes you guys are so god look at us (laughs) how are we married um so uh not so there's all these spells that are their their power is increased the mages and wizards of the world find that they have a lot more magic that they can tap into but uh that you don't need to be a wizard to benefit from the uh 
uh, Arcanum Optimar, uh, the pre the, the the Fire Slayer priests they find that their Fire Slayer powers, their you know, the prayers, their miracles, the things that they perform, um, even their brand of magic huh, brand right because they stick stuff anyways uh, is is stronger as well. So even even they benefit. Um, I mean, if you call it a benefit from from this increased magical presence out there in the world, and they get their um, this is around the time where they sort of develop their magmic magmic invocations. Um, so that's another change for our fire slayers here. Uh, did you guys get any uh, interesting stories uh, from this time frame that you guys want to talk about? Well, one thing that's mentioned in a couple of spots. This is not a specific story with it, but that the there's some implication that the Arcanum Optimar has like somehow increased the birth rate of Slayers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mentioned in one or two spots here where all of a sudden their their population kind of has a little bit of a, a boom. Um, a baby boom. Yeah, exactly. Um, they don't, uh, they say that uh, the Slayers are very secretive about their, uh, about the workings of their society. So they don't totally talk about that. Um, uh, but uh that's a that's an interesting side effect. Yeah, how green. Um, Warhammer, we don't really talk about like offspring all that much. I'm trying to think of a, a term for it. Uh, it doesn't come up all that much. And yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, it's the Fire Slayers. Or I mean, this is one time where now we're talking about it in the Fire Slayers book. But I think there's no other race that talks about progeny as much as maybe the the Deep can do, which is ironic or not coincidental because the deep kim book also just recently came out so they're between the two books sort of talking about um again offspring or or passing on sort of familial uh legacies uh, between the two armies i thought was some sort of common ground between the two um it's around this time whether it's you know specifically in the time of tribulations or maybe it bleeds over into the broken realms era but i have it listed here for whatever reason but there's the duardrazal Duardrazal, Duardrazal, uh, which um, there's this there's this big battle uh, that the Fire Slayers took part in. They defeated some, they had just some big victory. It doesn't matter who they were fighting, but uh, they were celebrating this big victory that they had, and they invited in a few of their KO uh, buddies uh, to celebrate them or with them. And uh, some Fire Slayers or one Fire Slayer got so drunk that he spilled the beans about why they were going after all this Urgold. Uh, and what you know their secret uh, purpose was, or the secret goal, uh, talking about you know trying to free up uh, Grimnir, and everyone I, you can imagine they were in a, some sort of fire slayer bar, uh, and someone says, you know, let me tell, let me let, listen, let me tell you why we're getting after all this ur gold, and the whole entire place goes silent, uh, and he spills, you know, he reveals this deep dark secret, and then the whole crowd erupts, hey, and they cheers because the KO don't care. In fact, they're all for it. They're encouraging them to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not. They're not against it. They're for it. They're on this. They're on the same side. And so this was uh, sort of the start of this. I guess what this Duard result, which sounds like it's the 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 uprising of um, Unitarian sentiment between uh, these the the Ko and the Fire Slayers. It's the it's the, the it's a conversation. It's a topic that keeps get, keeps getting brought up, um, and it's sort of an upswell of support for this uh, unification. Um, which is cool. I didn't know I had a word, but now it has a, there's a term for it. I'm just impressed that it was a universally kept secret until then. Yeah. How could that be true? But then again, I mean, they're fire slayers, right? Like that. Yeah. If anybody could do it, if anyone could keep that secret, I imagine it would be uh, either the fire slayers or a keeper of secrets because it's in the name. Just imagine the oath that one guy had to take 
for spilling the beans for a secret kept for thousands of years. <laughs> and because one. he got too drunk, too. Right. It wasn't like it was tortured on him or anything. It's just like, oh, I had too much beer. And sorry, I spilled a secret that has been kept from the beginning of our race. Yeah. Well, the KR, like we don't, your, your gold, too solid. Not interested. Um, I prefer my gold uh, and it's gaseous state. Um, so neat. Uh, the only other story I'd bring up from this time frame, and again, I don't know if it's more of a Broken Realm story or a Soul War story, but it, there's the threat from the sea, which sort of details the the back and forth battle between uh, the Fire Slayers and the Deepkin in the Fury of the Deep box. Yeah. Um, so I think every battle tome that comes out, they they often throw in, uh, you know, a nod to those battle boxes in the story contained within. So that's mm-hmm. included here as well. Any other trial of tribulations or soul wars uh, thoughts or stories you guys want to talk about? Well, um, one of the things that I really liked about the Stormcast Battle Tome that is missing from this one is there were a lot of Black Library tie-ins in this period, this era of the timeline. True. And I don't see any um, that I know of. I I haven't read, uh, no, I probably have read almost all of them at this point. But I'm I'm not seeing those tie-ins in the timeline. I don't know, Davey, if you saw one that I missed or uh, not I. Yeah, me neither. And you're right. I I did enjoy that in the Stormcast uh, battle tome. In fact, I, I called it out. Like, how cool is it that you know the the studio and the Black Library are meeting and you know sort of combining that stuff. Um, and it's not like now I admit there's not an overwhelming volume of Fire Slayer stuff, but there's not not. I mean, there's also not nothing. There's other. I feel like there are things they could maybe have touched on. Um, so it just means that we're going to have to get more Fire Slayer books if we're going to have to. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but like, there's not even a mention of Gotrick, which I feel like, yep, is probably the biggest thing they could have pulled up. And it, there seems to be no evidence, at least in this book that I see, of of our dude. Um, yeah, bummer. But let's hop into our, our Broken Realms Age of Beast, Beast. More of that, more of that modern uh, time frame here. Um, how how does this? era treat our fire slayers how how are how have they weathered this new i'll say storm it's not really a storm but um do you guys have any thoughts on that uh if you're a mercenary then conflict is good for good for business and that is happening with these dawnbringer crusades so they get hired on to to uh, be part of these um there's some call out of them fighting cunning crew not kind of crew uh, <laughs> fighting uh cruel boys. cruel boys fighting cruel boys um, so, uh, just a, a nod there, uh, for me, the, the biggest one was, uh, it talks about specifically the return of Grumni, um, who had been conspicuously absent, but not dead like Grimnir. Um, Ooh, salt in the wounds, Danny. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it's neat to see how this is received. You know, they, some of the slayers, uh, revere him as the brother of their lost god. Others see him as uh, a betrayer, as someone who abandoned them, uh, abandoned the realms in the time of need. Uh, the Caradron overlords are mentioned here, and they have uh, a non-typical relationship with Grugni, where you know they they kind of forsook. They said, like, well, if gods aren't going to be here, then we got to do it ourselves, which is maybe what Grungni was shooting for to some extent. You know, yeah. he's a he's a pragmatic, practical god. Um, so, uh, but he he attempts to reunite them, and we, we talked a little bit about, you gave that um, Dua, the Dua Drizal. Um, the Galen one. Um, 
and the the reactions uh, uh, vary quite. So some some are excited and some storm off. I think the Lofnir Lodge who revere um, revere Grimnir in a kind of different way uh, are not having it and they leave without a word word to be said but grungni being a, a wise guy says like hey you know i wasn't going to be able to do this in one shot this is the first step and there's been progress here and that's all i'm looking for yeah very cool um let's pause there so i'll, I'll ask some listener questions that i think you just maybe answered or started to answer so uh uh patron and host so the only person that i can give both of these titles to patron and host sever will uh ask how are the fire slayers affected by the duarden reveals of the broken realms and so i think he probably means the grogni reveal uh specifically though that i feel like there's a lot of other duarden aspects to it uh but then darth alec also asks uh, has the duarden alliance plot point gotten any development and so i think we've touched a little bit on the developments thus far um so and, and paul anything to add about uh grogni's re-emergence into the mortal realms i think it's a cool little point they did add a little bit um to the storyline it wasn't a ton um but it, it, it definitely progressed it forward um i think the last fire slayer battle tome we had was what um when they released the endless spells that was a couple yeah. years ago so second edition at some yeah. point um so it, um i think it definitely it was the most interesting plot point i thought in the battle tome Absolutely. It, it actually tied in with the KO and it tied in with the um with the, the Dwarden that are just out in the realms in general. Um so I thought that was kind of a cool little thing. I echo your point, Paul, that is probably the most interesting part about this book. And um when they announced that there was gonna be just sort of a standalone Fire Slayers battle tome, I think we'd been we'd been fed a lot of rumors about the idea of them souping the dwarfs together, so the KO and the Fire Slayers. There's already been rumors prior to this battle tome that something like that was gonna happen. But when they were they announced that there was a standalone Fire Slayer book, it seemed as if those rumors were sort of dispersed that they weren't actually going to combine the two armies into one because lo and behold, we've just got this, we got this whole fire slayer book. So that must mean that they're still separate, but I think maybe they're still laying the groundwork. And just because that this fire slayer book exists now, doesn't mean that in the future, there's going to be sort of a closer alliance um, coming down the pipe um, Mm -hmm. or pike. Uh, And so I think this is, this book just serves as a stepping stone towards that direction or, you know, nudging us in that direction. Even like Grogny says, like David had said, like, this is the first step of what will probably probably end up being a longer journey. So I don't think we're done yet. I think there's more to it and more to come. I'd be curious to see what, where where we're headed. I think they're drawing a clearer and clearer uh, picture. Um, And then the other thing I would say about Grogny is it, it's, weird because we see so many of the residents of the mortal realms and Dwarden specifically talk about how like Grugni had abandoned them and like he left and the KL think he abandoned them in Shaman. And so they had to become, they had to become the overlords. They had to become into the race that they ended up being. And even the fire slayers see him as sort of a betrayer. Uh, his, his brother's dead. He sort of left the realms behind, but we know from the audience perspective that he's been a been in his ear, like forging armor, like helping Sigmar. Like he shows his face pretty regularly in you know fiction or other books sort of on the azirian side and so like in my mind he's never left like i i have never want i've never had a, a grugni shaped hole in my life because he's always sort of been around working on the world he helped with the penumbral engines like he's always been present but i forget that what i know and what the dwarden of the mortal realms know are two different things and so mm-hmm. it's easy to forget that 
there has been an absence in the realms just for, you know, the people that probably care about him or that he, he ought to care about the most. Um, he's busy, uh, forging like human shaped armor as opposed to like Dwarden shaped armor, which I guess probably stings a bit. Um, <laughs> well, so there's the that thing is that in Josh Reynolds stories, we actually did meet Grimnir in the Grugney. Yeah. We did meet Grungni in the, in the spirit. Is it spirit? Not spirit shadows. Is it spirit? Shadows? Yeah, I think so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. So even though he was gone, he was still present. And so this, this reveal is something that's kind of been building in the background. So it is nice to see it actually showing up and and being put into battle tomes. Um, one of the other things that I appreciated was that I think when they talked about Grimnir coming back, or Grimnir coming back, excuse me, they talked about how there was a meeting of all the dwarf clans. I, I think it was at Vastargi Mount, if I remember correctly. But they said the entire Geldrad actually met in the mount as well which I thought was really interesting. Um, it, and that many of the high warden Kings of the, of the, the standard warden that are like in cities of Sigma. Dispossessed, yeah. Yeah. The dispossessed. There we go. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool to like actually have a council and have the Geldrad meet on the ground somewhere. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it is awesome. So, I mean, this has to be, this literally has to be going somewhere, right? Between that and then also the hints at like the Chaos Dwarden, right? Like, I think it all, it's all related. And like, there's going to be this big Dwarden thing uh, that comes in the future. I mean, it's just, it, it writes itself, basically, uh, you guys. And by that, I mean, GW, you have to write it. I'm kidding. It doesn't write itself. You have to do it. Um, I'll pay, I mean, I'll pay you. I'll buy it. Um, so... There's that um, one story in this Broken Realms area. So it talks about the fulminating energies and so how Alarial's life um, magic wave is also sweeping across the realms. It's waking up, quote unquote, all sorts of, you know, sentient, but then unsentient um, things uh, in the realms. And so if you thought there were a lot of volcanoes before, and there were, uh, it, it then wakes up even more volcanoes double the volcanoes man oops all the volcanoes in uh actually <laughs> and uh apparently that's all they can it's the only geological feature in this fire slayers book is just volcanoes um that's not the interesting part because we already covered volcanoes uh but the interesting part is under the stargy mont mont um the the uh the fire slayers can sense or they're aware that there's this growing elemental force this power that's growing underneath of a stargimont and nobody knows what it is and so that's pretty sweet like i i get the impression that maybe this is pointing to something in the future too just the way it's phrased or where it's where it's positioned in the book it makes me think that this isn't just a throwaway interesting line but actually like I, i get the impression that it's a hint too for uh future stuff now maybe i'm just being optimistic and maybe it is just a throwaway uh, teaser as they do um but i hope it's not it seems cool you know who i think might know who the elemental force is no i the don't chaos know warden that we're occupying Vastargi mount that got kicked out maybe they locked it down there and now they're not control they're not like oh my god yep. and now they don't know no. what it is and like this is gonna be bad this is gonna be bad times again something's coming like it's something it's very they're, they're very clearly telegraphing this and i and i'm here for it my dudes um so that's pretty neat that's pretty sweet um there are a couple more a little bit of stories that don't necessarily fit into the timeline per se but they throw in some extra oaths that uh, the fire slayers have taken over the years um and i call i I bring this up because hey hey chrisling remember when you were asking about ogres i do it was just a few minutes ago um (laughs) one of the 
oath stories that they talk about here is called the Stone Teeth Oath, and um, it gives a little gives a little uh, tale of how um, I forget what lodge it was, but uh, one of the Fire Slayer lodges got hired by one ogre to uh, wipe out his his enemy, some uh, another you know tyrant or some other leader ogre that he needed to wipe out. He had really hairy arms. Apparently, that might have been the only reason why he wanted to kill him. I guess possibly, but the uh, the Fire Slayers fulfilled their end of the bargain. They slayed his enemy, and they presented the forearms as sort of a as a you know proof of the enemy's demise. And guess what? The ogre up- upheld his end of the bargain too. No funny business whatsoever. What? End of story. <laughs> but you wanted ogres. You had ogres. Um, so so there you go. Uh, that, maybe that's the last one I'll bring up. But I feel like on more than one occasion in this. Uh, battle tome they talk about like the martial prowess of the fire slayers and if they ever want to prove how strong one of the fire slayers are they always talk about how their latchkey axe or you know whatever axe they use or whatever blade they use could fell an ogre in one swoop or they could hack through an ogre through his belly or something like that they always used an ogre as a way to describe how strong a fire slayer uh was which i thought like once is fine guys Twice as a coincidence. I mean, they did, they seem to just keep doing it though. Um, mm-hmm. As I as I noticed, yes, ogres so. are the beastmen of this battle. Of <laughs> this battle zone, yeah, uh, true. Um, did any of the other ogres, or not ogres, any of the other oaths catch you guys' eye that you guys want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, I, I enjoyed reading them. It was good uh, bulking out, but um, yeah, it, it, it was kind of like a, a, a bonus entry for the uh, the stories we usually go through this this is kind of that specific little bit that you enjoy reading agreed you and me both i I did like the ether fire oath where the fire slayers and the ko joined forces because there's also a uh, a spider there uh (laughs) seven legs but i also like that to this day warriors of the lodge continue to exchange tattoo designs with their caradron comrades sign of mutual respect and comradeship Plus, like, just the idea of, like, all right, I'm going to hammer Urgold into my chest, but watch out for that tattoo. Like, that's a super cool tattoo reminding me of this epic battle against the spider fang. My, right? my, my buddy has a matching one. It's, it's super, super sweet. I told you mess it up. Yeah, that is neat. Um, and there's just a throwaway line in that battle about the Arcanite Flux Fortresses. Mm-hmm. Or Arcanite Flux Fortress. That's just fun. That's, that's cool <laughs> that's to think about. That's just I don't know what old, it is. I like the idea. It's good old-fashioned fun is what it is. Yeah. All right. Very neat. Uh, any other story, history, timeline-based thoughts before we keep on keeping on? There was one tiny little thing uh, where there was a KO force fighting, I think it was Lofnir, maybe a, a lodge of the Lofnir clan, fighting Beric Mornar. Because the ether gold of the seam is contaminated with Urgold. And so they're fighting each other because the, the KO want it to fuel their ships, but the, the Fire Slayers want it to fuel their tattoos. It was bound to happen. Um, <laughs> can't, can't all be rainbows and lollipops. Um, sometimes they're going to be at odds. It's just the nature of the beast. Just like us on this podcast, you mm. jerks. Um, all right. So let's, let's hop into sort of the organization of, uh, some, some of this, this faction here. It's, it's interesting or fun in that it used to be hit or miss whether or not they'd sort of introduce the, the organizational aspects of an army in these battle tones. But now it seems it's like it's, it's pretty universal. Like they make it a point that it's a standard entry in each of these battle tones where they talk about like how they're organized and what, what that, that structure is. 
Um, and if they're going to keep putting in the battle tomes, I want to keep talking about it. So, um, if we're dealing with organization, if we're dealing with power structures uh, here in this Fire Slayers battle tome, um, what's what stands out? What's the what's the the thing that they talk about the most here? Uh, I'd say that it's a patriarchy, right? So there's there's the lodge, um, which is ruled over by the Arak Rune Father. Uh, it is made up of a number of fyrds, F Y R D S, um, and that uh, that lodge is ruled over by the Rune Father, who uh, tries to avoid having no heir, and so has lots and lots of Rune sons, who then. Uh, can sit out uh, elsewhere. So that that's kind of the, the core thing and everyone else uh, kind of slots into that in some way. Uh, there's also the Zargrim, which are sort of the spiritual advisors. Uh, Paul, do you know how they break down? There's kind of like uh, three main elements of that. Yeah, they've got the Rune Master, the Rune Smiter, and then they have the, the brand new model, um, which is basically their Master of the Dead, the Flame Keeper. Um so the rune master is the guy who's like basically the the second in command. Um, he's there to help with all the decisions. And the rune smiter is actually the guy that puts the the runes into the skin of the fire slayers. If I'm not mistaken, I think I think you skipped a step. I think the rune master is still the one who puts the runes into people, and the rune smiter is the one who who fires them up like on the Wild. battlefield. So first you got to get them in, then the next guy down the totem pole lights them up, and then the then you know what the dead guy does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rescues the, the, the ones that haven't been burned. Like, so he, he actually takes Urgold out of the dead Dwarden bodies to be reused and recycled. Just, so that's, you know, just, responsible. Just pops them out. Just, there you go. Um, and also he's, he's in charge of like burning up the bodies of, of like the fallen Dwarden as well, so that they can be interred and go through the proper uh, burial rituals and, and things that you know, whatever the steps are. Um, I'm sure we're not allowed to know. That seems, that sounds super secret. Um, uh, back to maybe a little bit of the patriarchal nature of, of, uh, the fire slayers. Again, I don't know if this is new stuff or old stuff. If it, if it just showed up in this battle tour, if it's been around, um, but pin in that, let's ask some listener questions about it. Uh, Darth Alec asks, um, are there any cases of room daughters or room mothers? Um, and similarly, uh, Kiriban asks, uh, what do all the Fire Slayer women do? How come there isn't a single woman model? So I get where you guys are coming from. And guess what? The book talks about it. Um, although most commonly it's a, it's a matter of rune fathers and rune sons, they do talk about um, uh, the rare but maybe increasing in frequency uh, Fire Queens, which are... I, I guess yeah, you would say yeah, the yeah. female equivalent of the Auric Rune Fathers. Um, and those Rune Fathers or Fire Queens can also have uh, Rune Daughters as well. And so they talk about, um, is because something's causing the more, like the, in the same way there are more babies are being born, is it also making it so that there are more Fire Queens and more Rune Daughters being born? Or is it sort of a standard? Women being born. Yeah. yeah? There, okay. There's a higher proportion is what they implied. Gotcha. Well, and All right. It, yeah, I think this was a this was a bit of a lost opportunity here where they made a new Fire Slayer model and they made another male model. Like I think they could have possibly done something to incorporate the new Flamekeeper as a female model without compromising the integrity of the line. Yeah. Um, it, I think that's something that they could have done really well. Um, but 
yeah, that didn't happen in this one. Sure. So maybe There's next one time. rune daughter specifically called out the Hermdar Lodge, and we'll we'll talk about the different lodges later. But uh, the lodge's current rune father there, Kalmar Grimnir, um, uh, among other things that that uh, rune father has done, has uh, uh, named. Uh, the rune daughter Bruda Brightaxe as his heir. So that's one of the major lodges is uh, on track to, to get a, uh, a rune queen or mm. rune mother. So, or a fire queen is the term they use, but maybe you'd see rune. Um, I want to start calling my wife that my fire queen. <laughs> yeah. She's going to, she's going to love it. I'm sure she, guys, I'm sure she's going to love it. I'll, I'll let you know how she takes it. Um, sure. Uh, so uh, that's pretty neat. Um, any other thoughts about, the gender aspect, because I got another listener question that isn't specifically about that. Lay it on us. All right, Kip Ribbon. Uh, they ask, how many rune sons on average does a rune father have? And what about more regular fire slayers? I don't know about regular fire slayers. They don't really talk about that. And they're not even necessarily specific about the rune fathers, but they do make it a point to say they want to have as many sons as possible to ensure that there's a, a um, an heir to be found. Because, I mean, every, every new son you kick out, um, it, you know, increases the chances that there's going to be someone around and kicking when you yourself uh, bite it. Um, so it sounds like there's a real high rate of attrition with the uh, with the rune sons too. So they they have they're bearing they're keeping that in mind. Where they're like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to lose a lot of rune sons, so I better have a lot. Yeah, yeah, too true. I think at one point it was like, oh, if you have less than a dozen rune sons. You're in trouble. Like there might be some problems going on. Kind of risky. Well, the idea of being a rune son is that you have to sort of take risky maneuvers to prove yourself as you know being worthy of the the rune father title. So they're they're constantly finding amongst themselves or you know uh, aspiring or to, to greater feats of you know heroism or you know what have you. And so obviously that with that comes a little bit of a a little bit of risk. Some might hey, say. rune father. Watch this. Yeah, kick Rune Father. Hey, Rune Father. No, Rune Father, watch me. Watch me. Rune Father. Watch Rune Father, watch me. Watching me, Rune Father. Watch it. Look over here. Look at me right now. Um You you didn't see it. You didn't see what I did. You didn't oh, see you didn't see classic. You didn't see it. Oh, too real. Um, all right. Uh talking back or uh, looking back to that flame keeper thing we were talking about. <laughs> thing. He's a person here and come on. Um what happens to Ur, uh, Kiriban asks again, uh, what happens to Urgold runes once exhausted? Does it turn into regular gold? Can it be re- refilled with magic? Do they talk about what happens to the runes? They can be exhausted, but what happens to them? So, yeah, I, I think they have to be uh, recharged in some way. And I, I think, you know, you were talking about them actually putting pieces of Urgold together. Uh, I always used to wonder because they, they would get these Urgold runes in them and then they'd eventually lose their Urgold essence if, after they'd kind of burn bright, burned out on the battlefield. I, I think it's specifically part of bringing, theoretically bringing Grimnir back is releasing that uh, energy in the fight. So I, I think they find more of it, hammer it into themselves and then release it in fighting, which was near and dear to Grimnir's heart. Um, Mine too. So I I, that's that's the impression that I get for uh, for what is going on with her gold and the use of it. But they still want to retrieve the the runes even after it's been exhausted, right? They always make it a point to like pry it out of people, or are they only concerned with those runes that have not been used? I guess I don't know. I think they're most concerned with the ones that have not been used. But I imagine it'd be like uh, you know, if you if you had a phone whose battery is dead, you kind of want to get that phone back too, not just a you know. Hey, hey, cool. Hey, that, good. That's a pretty bad. Hey, good metaphor, Davey. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right. So, Paul, you have a little note here talking about maps or something. Did you have a thought 
Yeah. So um, when they're talking about how the faction is organized, I kind of wanted like a map of an of a hold or something. Like I wanted to, I wanted more. And to kind of call back to your when you put on your negative hat before, like that was very much my feeling for this battle time. Was I, I kept wanting a little bit more. They talked a lot about what happens in battle. They talked a lot about how the the different units are defined by how they interact in battle with all the other units. But I, I wanted a lot more of day-to-day life, of like how this works. They talked at one point about how in order to become part of, um, I think, one of the bodyguard units, they had to fight certain beasts. But then they didn't mention the beasts. And there's nothing in there about like where these beasts are kept or like what was going on. So there are hints about little more details of what's going on. Like there's hints of, oh, there are more fire slayers being born. Like who takes care of the fire slayer children? Who like who teaches them? The magma drops oh, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They make great babysitters. They got a really like, gentle footstep. It doesn't like a real like Peter Pan situation in the the, the big St. Bernard taking care of the kids. That was something I missed. I was, I was hoping to get that from the battle tome and I didn't see it really. And it was really present in the cities of Sigmar battle tome um, and the Stormcast battle tome. So I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of that. I, I get you. Um, it's, and it's been so long since we've read like a, maybe a Fire Slayer focused Black Library thing. And so maybe Black Library is a better place for that sort of stuff, but it's been a bit since we've read anything you know, about Fire Slayer. So again, I feel like there's still some Fire Slayer-shaped holes uh, in the lore that we haven't filled in yet. I'm not super surprised with how the army books have been that we don't have some of the more society details. Um, that that doesn't seem like a thing, but I'm 100% with you. Like, it would have been really cool to get a, you know, cross-section of a of a hold or something like that. That would have been a really fun thing to see or, or just some some more pictures of a period. There's that one picture where there's that huge staircase with the giant statues. I feel like it's been used a few times now, but I really like that one. Like it's, it's been around for a while, but I like that picture. Yeah. You get kind of a sense of scale. Pretty dramatic. Well, but it's tricky though, because they're short, right? So it's hard to actually know how big. So, I mean, honestly, it just might be a life-size statue for you and me. (laughs) Got them. But it's also one of the things where earlier in the book, they talk about how they actually mine for Urgol too, but then it's just kind of a throwaway line. and, and, And so like, all these little bits of the culture never really get tied together well in my head for me to form a solid idea of what what goes on in the hold, what goes on um, with this in their more day-to-day life. And I, I, especially because so many people die so constantly, like the birth rate must be like massive for the attrition rate to be justified. And, uh, you know, so like I, I wanted a little bit more and that was missing. Guys, who are the Fire Slayer farmers? What do they eat? Uh, anyways, um, so let's talk about like their motivations. I, I, we've really covered the Urgold side of things, so I don't know there's too much more to add there, but I will ask another question from Kihraban, uh, and they ask, what's the balance between hunting for Urgold and fulfilling honor? I feel like it's mostly hunting, hunting for Urgold. Honor is maybe a, a fun secondary, but... Well, I I think uh, depends on what lodge you're from. Oh, like that's, that's one true. of the things they use to distinguish between the lodges, and I don't know if that's something we're getting into now or saving for a little bit later. Uh, let's hold on to it. I know it's a good point. Um, put a put a pin in it. Uh, I like where you're going. I like where your head's at. 
for these are no particular order. It's just the way it's written down. But if we go off, if we go off script, then it's pandemonium, and we're no better than the animals. Um, so always we, my fault. When we go off script. I'm sorry. I'm no better than the animals. Not not at all. Um, but here's where we do talk about their potential allies. Hmm? Hmm? Anybody want to talk about any allies that they may or may not have? Anyone who's got that cash money, yep. you, you know it. Whoever pays them the most is their ally. Yeah, true. Uh, true. And also, yeah, also maybe. The Caradron overlords, depending on how close that is. Yeah, and a newer a newer development for sure. Um, any particular enemies besides whoever just paid them, uh, whoever their enemies are, because uh, that's a, that's a that's a prime one for sure. Some some of the traditional, like they because they live in subterranean realms, uh, they got to deal with Grotz and Skaven. Uh, quite a bit. So. Uh, I would hearken listeners back to one of our uh, pocket realms where we read Shriekstone, which is more of a Grotz story than a Fire Slayer story, but there are Fire Slayers fighting Grotz under a mountain in that book. Uh, true. Which I, I recommend. It was a good read. I like that one. Um, and uh, from there, we'll, t- we'll just keep rattling them off. Well, let's let's dive into uh, some maybe of our some of our favorite uh, units or models from the range. And so, admittedly, this is a relatively older range, um, but we finally have an opportunity to talk about it. Um, over the years, have you guys developed any favorite uh, Fire Slayer units, models, things of that nature? Uh, who, who's got a fave? Uh, Paul, let me ask you first. Um, I, I'm i going to go off a little bit, as I usually do. Um, Feel Grimnir and his Underworlds Warband, which I know is really David's, David's thing. Like, easily my favorite unit. Um there's so much character, and I, I just love the pose of Fuel Grimnir himself. Like, he just looks mm. super... Is he, the, is he the one on the shoulders? Yeah. He's got the latchkey axe. Yeah. yeah. But I, I like the latchkey axe. Like, that was... I, I like that it... I, I don't know how much they talked about it in this one, actually, but, like, how that is the key that opens the the vault that the whole defense... I, I remember reading... Yeah, they mentioned it in this that's, one. That's yeah. in here, yeah. Yeah. It's in, the, like, it's in the Runefather entry. Yeah, it seemed to be a little bit more distinct of like how important it was. And yeah, to me, that's a design element that I really appreciate that is reflected of something really important in non-battle that, that is reflected in their their weapon and, and battlement. So I thought that yeah. was super cool. Well, you were talking about like, you know, society. That's a, some hint to their society in, in some way, which is pretty cool. Um, speaking of like the key motifs, we're playing a Soulbound uh, uh, campaign, and we have a, a Fire Slayer Rune Smiter in the the group. And this is a little morbid, but he's they've got the key. He's got the like key icon thing, and so he's he's been using it as a weapon, and he's been stabbing it into people, and then turning it, and then that's like that's like his killing blow that he's done on a couple baddies now at this point. It's it's it's, it's, it's pretty rough, but um, but effective. Is the, is the key going to work anymore, or is it basically just a shiv? There's there's a joke in there about skeleton keys somehow. I'm not exactly sure what it is. <laughs> you you know it. You, yeah, right. you already figured you it out. Heard it. We'll workshop it. You're laughing at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, David, do, do you got any faves from this range, whether from a model perspective or a lore perspective or whatever perspective you want, from a David perspective? Yeah, uh, I remember particularly liking... Um, I'm going to say it's the Rune Master. 
Rune Smiter. I lose track of which is which. Uh, Rune Smiter is the one who rides the Magma Droth sometimes, and he's got his hands up like this. Rune Master's got a staff. Um, Rune Master, then. Uh, I, I particularly like the Rune Master's model. I think he's he doesn't have, he's got kind of the Amish style beard, like no no uh, mustache on his beard. I thought, I remember enjoying that design choice and being like, okay, they're they're willing to be even a little more different. Uh, I know that's not super dramatic, but I just liked uh, I liked that it looked a little different. And uh, the members of the the priesthood, the Zargrim in general, are uh, interesting to me because they're they've learned how to temper their anger a little bit. Um, if I were to have a complaint in general, uh, it is factions who whose one of their primary characteristics is being angry about things kind of kind of tire me out a little bit, like. You know, you keep reading about like this guy was so angry that he did this, and this guy was so angry that he did this, and uh, and these guys were angry and did bad things, and so they're evil, and these guys were angry but they did good things, and so they're good. Uh, anyway, uh, Zargrim were are, are a little sidestep from that, where they they're able to inject some some of that uh, wisdom um, and consideration uh, uh, into the into the generally angry discussion. <laughs> That's cool. Um, what, what I like about the Zargrim is that for anybody who came from the old, like who was who in Warhammer Fantasy, who came from the old world and moved into this new space, obviously the Fire Slayers are taking design cues from the Slayer ranges from before. But when you deal with any of the priesthood, it really turns, and it doesn't turn it on its head, but it's, it's an evolution or a modification of that Fire Slayer design, or of that Slayer design in a completely... Right. I don't want to say it's not a completely different direction. It's a it's a inspired by direction. But what would a, a dwarf priest slayer look like? And so it it veers off and uh, you know takes inspiration from, but is still pretty wholly different from that that slayer aesthetic. Unlike you know the 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 foot sluggers, you know the the the, the units and even the leaders also still sort of like hold pretty true to that old old slayer dynamic. So I mean babbling but i just thought that that's a need to see the priest version of what a slayer looks like um my fave is not even not really from a model perspective um honestly i think the magma droth is probably my favorite model in the range but i want to talk about the doom seekers because i like that they stuck to the doom aspect of that again talking about the old slayers right and how the slayers were looking for their doom they ensured that that still held true there was some element of that in this new fire slayer range um and sometimes i complain about relying too much on the old world whether it's from a design perspective or like a lore perspective for whatever reason i'm cool with it in fact i like it here i don't i don't know where i draw the line um but the idea being is that there's these doom seekers who just like slayers of old um through through some failure or some error of their own uh they uh then take an oath to go out and find their doom um and they're not going to stop until they you know they find it so again for anybody who knows anything about slayers it's very similar it's a similar um motive and motif but uh, we've got our doom seekers here although i like that um i will say it is in their little description in the book it is a little uh i don't know if jarring is the word because they had just talked about like in the order is they talk about grimwrath berserkers and they talk about uh doom seekers and they talk about how the grimwrath berserkers are are you know madmen they go wild in battle and they have so many runes piled into them that they're they're just crazy and almost uncontrollable and they will throw caution to the wind and willing to you know uh, att- attack anything and then they go to the doom seeker entry and they're like but you think those guys are crazy check these dudes out uh they're even more they're even more crazy uh because they're trying to seek their doom and just to see the one after the other i was like well that was come on don't do this you're better than that 
book writer. Um, it, it's well, whenever someone says, we've got a crazy guy, but then this guy's really crazy. Um, it's, it's just noteworthy, I guess. But I mean, to go on to Davy's point, right? Like they're all angry. They're all wearing mostly the same clothing. They all have runes in them, right? Like, you know, it's, it's like the, the egg section joke. Like, mm-hmm. The fridge got an egg section, right? This is, this is a Jordan. He's got runes. He's got an axe. <laughs> This is a Jordan. He's got runes and he's got a different axe. This is a network he's Jordan. He's, he's got runes. He's got an axe. It fires flame, right? Like because because the identity is so strong, um, it, it it takes a lot more to solidify the identity um, because the design cues are so strong for this army. It takes a lot more to solidify the the identity because so many things about their character are the same because. As as with all Dwarden, they are stubborn. They are normal, um, and so normal. A, a lot of the design cues ref, are repeated. Um, so it is it is something that, especially because that was true, I was really hoping again that that um, that last new character, the um, flamekeeper, the flamekeeper, would have added a little bit more different, a little bit more interesting uh, with a female character or something else to to bring that in and to kind of make a little bit more dynamic range. Speaking of of the flame keeper, given that this is relatively older, older range and there's really only one new thing that came with this book, we should probably spend a little bit more time talking about the flame keeper just to make sure that we cover it. And, and cause that might be the only people that may be the only thing people are looking to find out about, uh, in this new book. So flame keeper, part of the Zargrim, um, their tasked, tasked with uh overseeing uh the dead of the fire slayers basically they they run them through so uh at home they're they're in charge of funeral rites i think they do a lot of cremation of dead bodies they do a lot of extraction of old uh, runes i suppose we kind of talked about this a little bit but on the battlefield they they fulfill sort of a similar role um in terms of you know again keeping tabs on their dead and making sure that they don't fall into the wrong hands um but they also have some magical powers on the battlefield it's something about like when one of the, the one of like a fire slayer die like one of their allies dies they take that and are able to like bolster the rest of them or something what the problem was it was like oh they usually don't go to battle but when they do go to battle but when they do they try to make the like they try to justify hey wh- why haven't we seen them thus far well that's why uh yet martial skill alone is not what makes them truly fearsome but each flame keeper carries a master flame rune a simmering ember of the no this is too long for me to read the whole thing um so it's basically whenever a fire slayer another fire slayer warrior falls in like you know near uh the artifact that the flame keeper is holding so it's this rune that they have um the blazing power within them is drawn forth and uh it um their spirit returns to the flames and then the flame keeper sort of channels the magic generated by this and um conjures up blessings for for their allies um and so basically when someone falls you can sort of use that essence to um uh, boost or buff uh his his allies and so it's kind of this uh one may fall so that the other can the others can you know succeed sort of yin and yang aspect to it so uh he's also got like a flame and axe as you do uh in the fire slayer range um so that's his deal you guys have anything else to add uh no go all right hey david you wanted to talk about lodges i think now would be a great time uh are there any lodges that or lodge uh that caught your eye that you want to talk about yes uh so there are four listed here i believe um uh, yeah main ones that got rules at least yep 
these are four of the major ones. Uh, I enjoyed reading about the Grey Feared, uh, and they are notorious for taking, like they they're uh, very contract minded. Like you pay us enough, we're going to do the job. Uh, and so they're some of the ones that did fight for. I think they they were one of the two lodges that got called out as having taken some contracts for uh, from chaos employers mm-hmm. uh, at some point in the past. Uh, they uh, also were the ones that uh, they're. Let's say they're no longer welcome in Lethis. Um, <laughs> uh, so that uh, they were involved in that twist. Um, that is. Uh, I think it can. I think it's neat because it, it sets up some. Uh, it can set up some interesting storylines for you with that. Um, and they are not as populous as the Volstarg, but, uh, the advantage they have, and the reason that they can take so many contracts is that, uh, their lodge is built on this magma hold called the Gateswold of Shaman, which contains a cluster of realm gates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that idea of, they have this, uh, logistical advantage to getting different places to fulfill these, you know, take these different jobs, um, can, can get different places. So, um. I like when we see a little glimpse of, you know, here's, here's how the economics or logistics of the world, like think of, think of these fantastical things that we've created like realm gates. Um, and how would that actually apply if, if they were a thing? Well, if you had, uh, access to a bunch of them, well, you'd, you'd be more powerful, you know? So that's the foundation of Archeon and the eight points essentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Yes, uh, that was the uh, that was the lodge that I enjoyed reading about the most. I would say, very neat. Uh, Paul, did you have a lodge you wanted to talk about? Yes, I I like Lofnir. Um, Lofnir is kind of the I don't know the closest that we've gotten to Chaos Warden. It feels like um, whoa whoa they, they worship a, a record scratch. Yeah, I know, right? They worship a Slayer God, but they also worship you know a fire breathing Magma Droth. So. The difference between them and the other fire slayers is that not only do they worship Grimnir, um, but they also worship Volcatrix. And what they want to do is not only bring Grimnir back, but they also want to bring Volcatrix back by consuming the Irigold. So they're the ones who walked out of the, the meeting with Grungi. They, they don't want to compromise at all, but they're also like, the ones that like, you know, like drowning prisoners in lava and stuff. Cause you know, we're going to just sacrifice you in hopes of resurrecting this ancient God beast that <laughs> almost destroyed our entire race. That sounds like a really good idea, doesn't it? Um, and as far as um, the current storyline, they're also in um, the wilds of Gur is their primary fortress, their primary hold. Um, so um and I just I thought that was a cool little touch to to bring out because they did talk a lot about how Volcatrix and Grimnir's essences were fused together in the Urgold, and that they release both of them when they are fight in battle. So it was interesting to have a subfaction that really embodies the worship of both, not just one. Yeah, that is cool. Um, since they're like called out as sort of like more the more. Co- conservative um lodge they have they, they reminded me of the the barrack thring uh of the Karajan overlords and that both races have their you know old school um yeah. 
type subfactions, which is which is neat. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, I, I don't know if you said. Sorry if I'm repeating it, but don't they think that uh, Grimnir is going to come back riding Volcatrix like a total BA, like swinging his you know swinging his axe around? Um, Nothing is impossible. Riding that god beast, uh, so like Miss Prime riding a T Rex. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I mean, there's there's other god models. Like if Grimnir ever does get put back together, like there's no reason why they couldn't make a, a Grimnir riding uh, vocal sure. Um Get on it, dubs. Um, all right, the one I'll talk about, uh, I, we've covered it, aspects of the Hermdar already. Um, they are, if if Lofnir are more of a conservative, and I mean that in a non-political way, uh, the Hermdar maybe lean towards a little more of the progressive side, again, in a non-political uh, uh, way. Um, they, David brought it before, uh, um, the rune father of Hermdar, you said the name earlier uh he's he's got his eye on his daughter to be the one to like take over the lodge when when he when he bites it um they uh they're also that that lodge that are um more willing to help out for just for the good of other people i mean they still like to get paid when they can and in fact they've got holds and holds and vaults full of uh or gold but still they're more willing to offer a fair price they're not driving hard bargains um they introduce a, a bit more morality into the decisions that they make um and if they uh if they if they can get paid and help people at the same time they're they're more inclined to do so um and so uh that is a change of pace right like I, it, it seems maybe not quite anathema but a, a surprising outlook for a um, fire slodge, fire slayer lodge, a fire slodge, um, to take, uh, <laughs> in, in this doggy <laughs> dog, they get drunk, they get magma droth, eat magma droth world. So, um, that really stood out to me. Um, and I like how no one talked about the Vostar, Vostarg because no one ever wants to talk about the main faction, main sub faction of a, of an army. And that's, that's what the Vostarg are. Well, you know, they're going to get eaten by the chaos Jordan elemental spirit underneath yeah, their mountain. That's anyway, true. So, that's you know, true. They're going to be gone soon. Um, since we're talking about lodges, I'll bring up a question brought up by uh, Colonel Waterhorse, who uh, asks, are they natural redheads? Obviously talking about the Fire Slayers. Um, I don't know. It seems as if they might be because every single lodge seems to at least start with uh, some red hair. But there are some other lodges that make a point to modify their hair, change the color of their hair for different reasons. Two I'll call out are the Ulrung Lodge, who streak um, the ash from their dead into their hair and their be- beards and their hands. And so they have like black streaks. And I think I brought this up earlier, but the um, the Tangrim Lodge have white streaks in their hair because they now hail from Azir and it reminds or it represents uh, the stars and the heavens. And so although it always seems to have some element of red hairness to our fire slayers, um, some lodges go above and beyond to you know make it their own. So finger snaps. Um <laughs> All right. Uh, we had talked about full, full, full jewel, full Grimnir, uh, which I think is the only um, special character in the book. Is there anything else to add about that that fella? Yeah. Uh, what's cool is that he went into Shadespire uh, way back. I didn't realize Shadespire had been doing this thing for so long, but back in during the Age of Chaos. Um, and uh, he uh, is the great grandfather of the current Vo- Vostarg Lodge's uh, uh, rune father. So uh, they were like, "Well, he's lost and gone forever." Um, a couple things about this is that now the the wider 
world appears to be aware that he's out of Shadespire. So that means, you know, not something I would have necessarily expected, although I guess you can use rules for these guys on the battlefield, but uh, they went from Shadespire off in Never Neverland uh, into the belly of the beast grave. And now they're at the bottom in Harrow Deep, but somehow people know that they're out. Um, so that's an interesting piece. But just the idea of like, like uh, there might be a succession problem here because Bale Grimnir has been in charge of Vostarg, but if his great grandfather isn't actually dead, then who is actually going to be the ruler? Mm-hmm. So making making some people anxious. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Um, just as an aside, do, do they still suffer from the Shadespire curse, though, right? Like, that's, so he, yeah. he's still trapped, isn't he? I don't know, in some ways. Um, anyway. Well, he yeah. If he dies, he comes back to life. So he dies, he, or he lives. He fights. He dies. He lives. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. That, that's, yeah, like I didn't do five that. people. I get that. <laughs> oh, uh, only because he butchered it. Um, all right. Very cool. So uh, before I ask any more listener questions, do you guys have any other interesting points about this book that you want to chat about? We're getting close. Home stretch here. Um, the artwork for the Fire Slayers is some of my favorite artwork um, mm. because they are from Akshi. A lot of their artwork is consistent tonally and like they provide uh, it provides a really coherent view of what the race looks like and it's probably the, the most solid identity and plus the the artwork of Grimnir fighting Volcatrix where he's literally in flame is just like one of my favorite pieces of artwork that they've done for Age of Sigmar so Davey any other points you want to bring up I see you have a list though we covered a lot of them yeah no I I, uh, I like that they were able to take one I mean this is basically taking one unit and a few heroes from the world that was and and generating an entire faction from them which is a pretty impressive feat um i i think like paul was referring to earlier that gives such a specific design brief that uh they the challenge is to not make them monotonous uh and i think they have mixed success with that (laughs) uh with that effort is is how i would say it um which is not to yuck anyone's yum if you love these guys then awesome mm-hmm. um and i mean just like any army that i read an army book about by the time i'm done i'm like i could i could probably <laughs> magically find painting time that i haven't managed to find in forever you know i i could, I, I could or not i shouldn't say find time motivation is probably it's enough to get me excited about a faction i guess um so that's that's cool very cool um the only thing I'll add in terms of interesting things, interesting bits about the book is there's here's, here's two more vocab words for you guys. Uh, one is the the Doomgron, which is apparently the final battle that Grimnir is going to be revitalized for. Uh, final battle against what? I don't know that they say. I don't think it's Volcatrix, so I think it's against something else. Uh, but that's what they're, you know, maybe it's, I don't know if it's a race or if the Doomgron's not going to happen until Grimnir shows back up. But it's this final battle that they're aspiring to. I'm very... Uh, Valhalla type thing, I guess. Um, but then there's also the Doom Varags, which is a term for uh, Urgold addicts. And so there's those that um, get addicted to the power of Urgold, whether they have too much or they were never suited for it in the first place. And so you get these um, fire slayers who uh, crave that power and who are willing to kill for it. And by that, I mean even kill their own allies to steal the Urgold and slam it into their body. Um and the only other tidbit I'll add is that the lore for the Magmic Battle Magmic Battleforge 
pretty dumb. Um, the idea that they could just form it wherever they want on the the it's they that was a I feel like it's kind of a lazy explanation for what the Magmic Battle Forge is. You can you can right. just say that it can't go to battle. It can't go on battlefields. Like you can just say that this doesn't work that way. So um, do you know why there's a Magmic Battle Forge? So no, Ray like Winter Ray uh, not Winston Ray um, Dranfield, the senior designer. For sure. Warhammer Age of Sigmar, mm, I've heard of it. Designed the Magmic Battle Forge because in medieval battles, it would take so long to set up a battle. It would like take several days to arrange the lines before you actually started like killing each other mm-hmm. because there was a lot of people. So they actually would literally build forges on the battlefield so they could like you know repair spears or swords that had gotten damaged on the way. Sure. So it it is in part of the Fire Slayers because it was a part of historical battlefields. So I get like to me, like magic made it come up. I'm totally fine with that, especially because it is something that's historically accurate for battlefields. But uh, only one thumbs down. So the other thumb might be a thumbs up. I'm not sure. It's no, no it's a wagging finger. It's a wagging <laughs> finger. Is my other. I don't even know what that means. What does that even mean here? Oh, you know, and the list, and more importantly, the <laughs> listeners know. Not a great idea. Um, All right, fair. So, so I like the, the thing. I, I like the model itself. It's yeah. just it's not a very good explanation. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but what we can do now is we can talk about our Black Library examples, guys. Hold on, we're so close. We we can make it. Um, a Black Library examples from uh, the Fire Slayer uh, perspective. So. Um, I, I called up the, the the obvious one is the Legends of the Age of Sigmar Fire Slayers. Does anybody want to recommend that? Um, I read it so long ago that I can't rem- I can't in good conscience recommend it because I don't know if it was any good. Uh, I do recommend it. Uh, I also read it quite a long time ago, but it I remember it being it's kind of uh, broken up into four stories, um, and they uh, they do that thing that you like, Aaron. They like here is uh, here is a lodge that is in uh shyash here is a lodge that is uh interacting with this other faction so it, it's uh i if you are looking for the things that paul was talking about like some uh, uh little bits about culture and that sort of thing i think uh, i learned there that the fire slayer record keeping uh they have these like books that are on chains but not so it's like they the links of the chains are kind of how you read the book and so their library is like all these hanging chains, um, something like that. It was cool. So um, if you are excited about Fire Slayers, I would I would definitely give that a read because that will give you more ideas about how they how they work as uh, as a faction. Uh, and I uh, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah that, cool. that one in particular. It was Shyish Fire Slayers, um, Vanguard Palidors, uh, the Vanguard Chamber Stormcast, and there was a Slanishy Warhost too. Hmm. And I, I remember the, the, the world building and that was super cool too. So yeah, check that out. Right on. Uh, what I think is cool is that Davey knows the things that I like. So that's, that was my major <laughs> takeaway from this. Uh, and then I would also recommend, um, so Gotrick, uh, whether or not you consider him directly involved with the fire slayers or maybe just sort of tangentially connected to the fire slayers. Um, I think if, you uh, were to dive into Gotrick, Gotrick, it would it would scratch some of that itch, especially uh, the um, the audio dramas where he was sort of first introduced uh, to the Age of Sigmar. Uh, really start uh, st- steeped in uh, Fire Slayer. Um, I don't know culture or uh, it's it's the closest 
Gatrick is maybe one of the closest thing that they have to like a named character besides uh, the Underworld's Warband. So um, he wouldn't have made it this long if if there wasn't something to those stories. So I think we, they can probably come highly uh, recommended, especially I particularly like the audio dramas by uh, David Geimer. So I, I would definitely check those out. Um, and there's there's the audio drama Heirs of Grimnir, which is related. It's similar characters, but those are also audio dramas that are specifically about Fire Slayer. So you could check those out too. Um, and I suppose that ties into a question asked by a patron, Lich Cass from a Discord, who asked, any word on Gotrick in this book that reflects his resolution and gets Slayer? Hey, get this, Lich Cass. I don't know what you're talking about in terms of <laughs> resolution and gets Slayer because I have not read it. Uh, but I don't think his name is mentioned once in this battle tome, for better yeah. or worse. Maybe for worse. So. <laughs> That's where we're at there. Uh, Paul, any any other Black Library uh, recommendations you want to make? Um, no, not on my head. The, the one that Davey mentioned is easily my favorite. It just, it, it, it's super cool. So Nice. Excellent. All right. Last bit. We got to do a review. We got to give our thoughts, our final parting thoughts about this here battle tome. And again, I have forgotten a good rating system, which is fortunate <laughs> that I get to go last. Um, Paul, where are you at? What did you think of this here bt i would go with uh seven of 12 healthy rune sons for my rating okay um it it i enjoyed reading it um it, it's always nice to find a little bit more about age of sigmar I, I was hoping for more um but yeah and what was there was good i enjoyed it right on. uh david what do you think uh i'll give it 650 billion out of one trillion pieces of your missing god um, <laughs> okay was <laughs> uh, i i'd like to find uh i i thought it didn't have as there weren't there wasn't a whole bunch of those pieces that make me say oh awesome you know like there, there were those felt a little few and far between it didn't have any of the uh little blurbs of small fiction like a lot of times there'll be maybe three or four um uh, call out boxes that are you know here's here's this, you know, four or five paragraph story of something, someone from the faction doing something. Uh, for some reason, I always have a soft spot for those. And, uh, and like I already mentioned, sometimes the, the angry faction is angry, uh, just gets a little bit, uh, too much for me. All right, cool. Um, I will give it, mm, I'll give it a, I'll give it a seven out of 10, uh, runes of empowerment. Mm. slammed into my my <laughs> slight frame where would i put them i don't know um in that if i think david you said you liked it fine and i think that's a good way to approach it i, I think these books especially now that are coming out this one in the deepkin one which i'm still reading um the, these battle tomes are obviously sort of stopgap um they're they're more for updating the army to get like them into the more recent rule system and it's less for like expansion of the lore so any any yeah. I, I understand its purpose i get i get why it's here it's not it's not necessarily for me right now um however the fact that they went a little bit above and beyond to highlight this like the grungny thing the potential for chaos warden thing um you know maybe this magma magma elemental thing under the the mountain the fact that they were able to come up with potential teasers for the future that puts it just just a little bit farther ahead like the, the nurgle book didn't really have a lot of those teases um this one maybe even shorter than the Nurgle book, at least had that much. And so there was enough to keep me going. There was enough to keep me interested. Um, and so it, because of that, it, it is a little bit better. It's still obviously not as great as a battle tome for like a new range or a new army or, you know, a big 
a big new release um, for something. So I understand what it's doing. I understand its purpose. It's just that it's not going to be as much of a lore heavy um, tome, especially considering it's, you know, the third instance of it at this point. Um, Furthermore, a lot of, although I hadn't really read any of the other Fire Slayer battle tomes, you know, cover to cover, you just sort of through osmosis pick up a lot of like Fire Slayer background, just being steeped in, in uh, Age of Sigmar lore. And so, although it was the first one I read, I, there still weren't as many surprises as maybe I would have expected or thought. So um, mm. th- 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 there were still some, we said there's plenty of times I said in here that I guess, Oh, I don't know if this is new or not. So I guess like, those count as, you know, things that are new to me. Um, so honestly, just an average uh, solid release. Um, if you're a fire slayer player, obviously you got to pick it up just to keep yourself current. Um, but there's, there's enough new in there for me to consider, you know, consider myself glad for having read it. So mm-hmm. uh there's that was not (laughs) glowing recommendation not a waste of my time um so (laughs) any other thoughts uh before we close her out none here no here we go it's time for our reforging but sigmar willing will be back soon like subscribe share or leave a review join us on discord drop a tip on our patreon anything you can do will spread the word of sigmar farther than we can on our own chat with us anytime about your thoughts on twitter at the mortal realms uh paul where can they find you online at PJ Shard. Uh, Davey, where can they find you online? At red underscore Zeke or at WTHK if you want to talk some Underworlds. Awesome. And I'm Aaron, and you can find me at Dos Asos on Twitter, and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Uh, they are they are serving him, and I am trying so hard not to say sort of. How do I say that a lot? I must say it all the time. Um, God, sort it's of. so hard. Welcome, welcome to the rest of the episode, listeners. <laughs> Aaron at war with himself. I'm going to cut Soros and gonna, just like start using all these other words uh, you've never heard. I'm going to cut that part of it uh, out, but maybe it'll make it at the end of the episode. God, I'm the worst. Um, you kind of want to get that phone back to not just a, you know. Hey, hey, cool. Hey, that's, good. That's a pretty bad. Hey, good metaphor, Davey. I like it. Uh, I'd, I'd ask you to edit it out, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. I'll definitely edit out this conversation about editing it out. That's a guarantee. Like, that's a given. We'll definitely do that. Mm, let's uh, real stretch it out a little longer. Yeah. So we can really <laughs> um, 